Um, has any of you been um, encouraged through this series that we've been doing, Exiled in Hope? You know, the book, right? You know, the book First Peter isn't real big, but it sure is packed with truth and some goodness where God just encourages us as believers. So today we're going to continue on in there, verse 20 through to 25. And I titled this message, Love is Essential, I'm sorry, Love That is Contagious. Because the main part of this text is how we as Christians are to love the believer. Real easy, right? It's easy just to love each other, isn't it? Let's read the text. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So everybody look at a person on the side of you and say, to you. That's right. Haven't we had this good news preach to us. And if you haven't, you're going to hear it today. But like I said, love is essential for the believer. You know, the main point here is to love each other. And, and, you know, we're going through this and they're exiled. They're in this foreign country. They're getting persecuted by a very evil man named Nero. And Peter is sitting here telling them how they should be acting as Christians. And of course, he's not going to leave the most essential thing out, which is love, right? And through this COVID stuff, uh, we've learned that word essential a lot. You know, when the lockdown came early last year, the government started to say what is essential and what's not, right? And that word essential is what is necessary in order to live. What do you have to have? It's something that is extremely important. And can you be a Christian without love? Of course you can't. It is essential. Essential. And I think, you know, obviously, if we're honest, Christians have a lot of debates on a lot of different things, and we have some disagreements, and all those are okay. But the one issue that we should all unite on is the issue of love. And you see here in 1 Corinthians, of course, the church was having some problems, and Paul addresses them. Uh, Chapter 13, it says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain what? nothing. It's essential. You know, and you go a little further on in verse 13, and it's a very popular verse. Some of us may have it on our refrigerator. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, but these, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So here Peter is telling us to live holy lives, you know, and could not leave out the most important characteristic, which is love. You know, I think in order for us to really walk in that, we kind of have to understand what word love means. You know, here in America, of course, we throw it around in a whole lot of different ways, right? I love golf, or I love ice cream, or I love this. And we understand what we're talking about. We're just kind of exaggerating some things. 
But that's not really the biblical definition of what love is, is it? And I think the world has done a really good job of distorting what that definition of love is, hasn't it? You know, a lot of what the world says today is basically just accept for whoever you want to be or however you want to act or live, to accept that is to love them. Is that what the Bible describes as love? No, it's not. You know, Jesus tells us a whole different kind of love. And although the Bible talks about probably four different kinds of loves, each one of them has to do with sacrifice. And you can't have love without sacrifice, right? And if you read in John 15, look what Jesus says. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Sacrifice? Absolutely, right? See, the problem, the thing is, is it's not about us. In order to love, it has to be selfless. It can't be just about us and what I want or worried about my feelings. Peter's telling us, don't be conformed to this world, but be holy as he is holy. You know, the teachers, a teacher of the law came up to Jesus one day and started to question him. And he says, what is the greatest out of all the Ten Commandments? And look what Jesus responds in Mark 12. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, I think the world is okay with that second one. But they like to leave out the first one, don't they? You see, because the problem is, is you can't do the second one. You can't love your neighbor unless you're receiving love from God himself, right? Because God is what? He is love. And you can't give something that you don't have, right? I could say, Dom, hand me this water bottle. He cannot hand me this water bottle until he possesses it and then hands it back. Similar to love in our life, if we don't receive love, then we don't have a clue of what love is. And I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life where I thought I knew what love was, but I was far from it. And this is a command that Peter's given us to love our brothers. And that's not just one to love the ones that are easy to love, right? We all know those, right? The people we get along with, they all have common things, sometimes the same age, same uh, generation, and they're just kind of easy to love. But, but that's not what Peter's saying here. He's not saying don't love the ones that you like. Don't love the ones that make you feel good. But he's saying love the Christian brother. Guess what? This means the tough ones too, right? We don't have Christian brothers that are tough, do we? You know, if you ever sanded something, there's different grits of sandpaper. You have, you know, 220, which is a fine sandpaper. 120 gets a little tougher, but you can get down to that 50 grit that it's really rough, right? And when you rub something, it really takes some wood off of it. Some people around us are like that 50 grit sandpaper in our life, aren't they? <laughs> y'all laughing because y'all know what I'm talking about. And you're walking down and you see him and you're like, oh, let me go this way. <laughs> right? You know? But this kind of love is the love to not just love the ones that are easy. You know? I'm starting to get a little older in age. And I start to understand generational differences, right? 
And I start to catch myself, I don't know about this new generation, right? This world's going to go down. That's when you know you're starting to get old. But guess what? People said that about me growing up also. And, you know, these are the kinds of things sometimes to love may require us to cross generational boundaries. And it may cause us to go and tell someone on the other side of the church that we're not used to going over there, someone we don't know, just to come up to them and get to know them. Because I think the key is, when we really give people a chance, we start to realize we have a whole lot more in common with them than we think. But this love isn't easy. It doesn't always feel good, right? Because it's selfless. And selfless love will always cost us something. You know, again, in the Corinthian church, but that church had some problems, right? I'm sure glad we ain't like that church, Pastor Ben. <laughs> right? But here... Paul speaks to them again. Of course, they have a man in the church that's sinning and doing some things out of line. And and look what Paul tells them. He says in chapter 5, he says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's tough love, ain't it? I can about imagine everybody that heard what was going on in that church. Can you believe that church? They say they're loving and caring threw the guy out because he wasn't acting right, right? But sometimes love requires us to care about somebody's eternal destination more than their present feelings. Sometimes it takes us to get out of ourselves and help somebody out looking at the big picture of things instead of just allowing them to walk in something that is going to kill them eternally. It's a whole lot more important for eternal destination than temporary lifestyle or satisfaction, isn't it? But it ain't fun doing that kind of love, is it? It's not easy having to hold somebody accountable for something and challenge them on the way they're loving. In order for us to love like this, it takes more than just good intentions. It does not come natural. This type of love Peter's talking about is a philia love. It's called a brotherly love. It's a little different. We're used to hearing the love of agape love, which is God's unconditional love. Um, It's not based on anything. It's not reciprocating. You don't love in order to get something back. Even if you don't get any love back, you continue to love agape. Well, this love's a little different. This is a love that does have reciprocating because it's a brotherly love between Christian brothers. But you can't take that lightly. You can't diminish the power of it because you've got to realize that these guys, these people Peter's talking to are getting persecuted. They are watching their family members get rolled up in tar and burnt at Nero's parties alive. And Peter's here saying, love, love each other. I don't know about you, but I'd be saying, defend us, right? Let's get out of here. We didn't do anything wrong. And this is what's happening. And Peter has a bigger picture. Ultimately, God has a bigger picture in what's going on here. But this kind of love, this philia, brotherly love, is a love that bonds people together, usually in tough situations. I don't know about you, but I always look forward to hearing when Vern and Tina go on the, um, on the disaster relief things. They always come back with these stories, right? 
And Tina's always so good at telling them. And she always talks about how she's seen people doing all these great things and a camaraderie of coming together for a purpose of loving each other. And it crosses racial boundaries. It crosses financial boundaries and different uh, lifestyles and all that. And people come with a common denominator to say, we're in a tough time here. Let's do something good. You're hearing the stories right now on, on news about the people in Texas going through that crisis. This is a brotherly love that draws together. But you see, the thing is, is when we go through tough situations or when tough situations are around us, it's either going to bring the best of you out or the worst of you out. Because we all see in those times when hurricanes come through, you see looters and you see the total opposite of this brotherly love, don't you? Kind of brings out whatever's in you. But Peter's talking to him. He said, look, we're different. We should be showing a brotherly love no matter what happens. This should be bonding us together in a brotherhood to love each other. And Peter says, to love from a pure heart. This is not a hypocritical love. No gossiping or backbiting. I don't know about you, but I don't always catch myself loving with a pure heart. This past week as I'm putting this thing together... I was feeling pretty good about myself before I started, but as the week went through and God's convicted me and showing me different areas that it ain't pure love that's coming out of me, makes me start to think a little bit, right? Got a lot of work to do. And I can about imagine how these people were thinking too. It's like, Peter, I think you may have the wrong people. We're getting persecuted here, right? It's like they're killing us and you're telling us to love. And Peter's like, no, no, no. I don't have the wrong people. You are definitely the right people because look at what he says here, which brings us to our second point. God's imperishable seed purifies the believer. In 1 Peter 1.23, he says this, listen. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He says, no, I don't have the wrong people. I have the right people because something has happened in you. Yes, it's going to take something supernatural in order to love like this in times like this. But that supernatural thing is already in you. You are born again. And God's imperishable seed is in you. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesied long time before this happened. Chapter 36. He says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that beautiful? You see, Ezekiel was talking about this long before this happened. But guess what? We get to walk in this new covenant he was talking about. We have experienced this new heart that God put in us in order to love in a supernatural way that just doesn't make sense to people. Tough times, ugly situations, what should still come out of us is pure love. And Peter's telling us that because we have been born again, our souls have been purified by our obedience to the truth. See, when you look at this, you look at that word purified, and it's another word for sanctified, right? To be set apart for holy use. It's God's way of working in his holiness into us to to make us more like Christ, right? 
Let's look at verse 22a again. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. If you listen, there's something that's kind of tricky there. It says, Having purified your souls by what? By your obedience to the truth. You know, we're so used to hearing that God sanctifies us in order to help us to be obedient, right? But Peter's kind of flipping this around a little bit, and he's saying that you're going to be purified or sanctified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So is he preaching works, or is he preaching faith? Of course, he's preaching faith, but when you really look at it, that word obedience in the New Testament is often used for belief. But when you really look at the Greek word of it, it's very, very neat. When you see the word obedience and the word here, the root word is exactly the same. Except for in that word obedience, there's a word in front of it that says hyper, hyper obedience. So in other words, it's saying we don't listen to God's word through these ears, these physical ears, but through a hyper hearing, which is the ears of our soul, right? So it comes down, it's not just a knowledge or understanding, but it's in our soul. It's a belief because the ears of our soul is where our belief system resonates, right? And when that begins to change, belief system, it's a renewing of the mind and it begins to change our actions because whatever you believe follows, The obedience that sanctifies us is accepting and believing the truth. It is faith in walking in his word. You see, just memorizing scripture isn't going to be good enough. Just learning the Bible forward and backwards, it's a good start, but it's not going to be good enough, right? But when we start to hear from a deeper level, we start to really believe it and understand it in here, then it's going to show in our feet right? I think not doing but believing is what he's saying. We're not going to do things. We're just going to believe God's truth, not just say we believe it, but really believe it. And the question is, believe what? Exactly what Pastor Ben said this morning, believing that we are a new creation. Because isn't that what happens at the point of salvation? We are a new creation, and then God's sanctification is working that into us, into our belief system, and teaching us what that really means. You know, last week, Pastor Ben talked about the battlefield in the mind, right? And if the enemy plants a seed in us of a lie, and we buy into it and believe it, guess what? We walk in destruction. We walk in bondage, because that lie we allow to work in us and do the work that it was created for. He's a liar and a deceiver. But the scripture says, God has planted the seed of what? Life in us. Imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. So the question is, what is the perishable and imperishable seed? Well, all life, plant, animal, and humans, all starts with what? A seed, right? And that seed is an imperishable seed. It's the kind of seed that produces life, but it perishes. It will not live forever. Everybody realizes that, right? Your days here are numbered. Fifi, your dog at the house, I'm sorry, but his days are numbered. 
<laughs> right? That beautiful tree you have in your backyard, its days are numbered, right? It is a perishable seed within us. But God's imperishable seed, what's that? It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's God's word, and it will never die. Not only will it never die, but for those who receive it, it will give you everlasting life. Eternal life for those who hear and believe. You know, in life, we have lots of changes in our culture, right? We have culture changes. Uh, we have style changes, right? We have technology changes. It's like you can get the brand new phone, and the next week, it's like ancient, right? And it just constantly changes. You know, this past year, COVID has changed a lot of things in our lifestyles, hasn't it? But here's the deal. What will never change is God's word and how he uses his word to sanctify his children. And that is a beautiful thing. Why is God interested in sanctifying us? Because he wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to glorify him in the way that we live and work. And that's what Peter's speaking to the children or the believers that are exiled. If any of you have a green thumb, you're going to know what my third point means. And it says healthy plants produce good fruit. Right? Can you produce good fruit from unhealthy plants? No, you can't. And I have an acorn here. It's an ugly acorn because it's not really time for acorns. That one's a little better. I figured you wouldn't be able to see this one. But I have an acorn here. And if this acorn develops, what is it going to produce? A beautiful oak tree, right? But it's just a seed right here. And it's pretty amazing to look at this little acorn, right? And to realize that this seed has every necessary life-giving property to produce life, right? It is a perishable seed, but it can produce life, something that can live for a long time. And, you know, the general point mainly is if it gets sunlight, water, and soil, it will germinate and start life, right? And it's going to look something like that. You know... Let's just picture this as God's imperishable seed of salvation in our lives. When we receive that seed in us, it produces life, right? We are reborn. We have his imperishable seed. We are believers. We are saved. And there is life that is starting in us. If we hear and believe, he gives us a new heart. He gives us new life. Now, the healthiness of this oak tree is determined by the nutritions in the soil, right? If it has healthy soil and all the nutrients, it will grow up to be a mighty oak tree. Isn't that beautiful? That this little seed can do that. Turn into something like that. It will be healthy enough to withstand droughts, diseases, freezes, and whatever comes its way. Similar in our life, we must build on that seed of salvation that God has planted in us. This is sanctification. See, God plants his seed in us, his imperishable seed, which is all his work. He does that. But then we have to receive that. We have to allow our roots to be planted where they're going to be healthy 
where they can withdraw or, or overcome droughts and diseases and freezes and animals and anything that comes around to try to hurt it or stop it from growing into this beautiful tree. Look what Paul says, Philippians 2. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not works. Listen. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Obviously, salvation is not a one-time experience. It's not just a prayer we come down and we receive and it's on and we produce all this great fruit. It starts somewhere with an imperishable seed. And then it's a lifetime of God working it in us and sanctifying us and creating us to be this beautiful, healthy tree. How do we work it out? If our roots are in his word and we walk in obedience and believe his truth, we will grow and mature to produce fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Definitely love. That's the main fruit that God wants to come out of us. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, I ha- if, if you have love for one another. There's a stamp on us. We should have love pouring out of us onto people. They should be able to see something is different about us by the way we respond to each other, shouldn't they? The truth is, is that we cannot save ourselves. It's God's grace and favor in our lives. After he saves us, we must be careful what we build with on that foundation. Sanctification is not us doing or striving to change, but hearing the word of God with the ears of our soul and allow the spirit of God to purify and sanctify us. When we trust and surrender to his truth, the beautiful reality is that we discover what true life is. We understand what true fulfillment is. We understand we find what we've been looking for when we finally just surrender to that. We learn what love means, not from a worldly perspective, but from where God sees it and God's perspective. This kind of love is powerful. It's unique and it ministers. You know, the neat thing is in these times of persecution, when these Christians were getting persecuted, they really didn't have much respect in that exiled country. That's why Nero chose them. You know, they were actually known, people thought that they were cannabis because they would take communion and talk about drinking blood and eating flesh. So there were rumors that they were cannabis. And people didn't respect them very much, so Nero said, this is easy. I can just blame all my evilness on them, and it'll torture them. But here's the cool thing. As they begin to get persecuted, and they begin to walk in this Christian brotherly love, Many of them died, but the outsiders started to see something different. And they started to get curious on these Christians and what they believed. didn't make sense to them. Their lives were being killed in some ugly ways 
but their love was so genuine, it was so unique, it began to minister to them, and many of them started to ask questions about their God and who they believed. And a lot of the locals ended up getting converted and turned into Christians. You see, what Nero was trying to extinguish, God had a plan through his believers and their love to multiply. You see, what Nero thought was, an imperishable, was a perishable seed was an imperishable seed, and he couldn't extinguish it. I think as Christians, we need to look different from the world also, right? I think we should baffle people by the way that we love each other. The question is, do we have that brotherly love that is appealing? And if so, are we continuing to grow in it? You know, the cool thing is, is I've learned is I like to plant food plots when I go hunting or where I hunt. It's, it's kind of the fun part of it. A lot of people think hunting's about killing deer, but I don't know, I'm kind of weird. I kind of like all the other parts. And I know it sounds kind of mean. You plant food plots, get the deer in, and you shoot them. But we don't call it that. We call it managing deer, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, you can plant food plots, and for years I planted them, and the deer didn't really eat them. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but I watch them on TV, and these food plots are full of deer. They're not eating mine. But then when I start studying, I, I've always missed one part. They said, get a soil sample, get a soil sample. So finally one year I got a soil sample, and I had to add lime because it was acidic. And I added that. And after that, I couldn't keep a food plot growing because the deer would eat it so fast. You see, what I didn't know is that you can plant soybean and it looks like beautiful dark green soybean. But if the nutrients in the soil aren't right, it's not palatable to the deer. They don't like the taste of it. It can look like it, but it ain't the real thing. Sometimes us as Christians can walk around And we can look like Christians, but maybe there ain't a whole lot of fruit around us. Maybe we need a soil sample and see what our roots are growing in. Beautiful thing is God is always willing to do that in our lives. Anytime I read 1 Corinthians 13 where Jesus talks about love and what it really means, I start to realize I ain't where I think I'm at, right? Still got a lot of work to do. God's got to continue to do work in me and that sanctification in order for love to really come out in that purified way. But isn't that what the Christian walk is about? It's when we think we got it all figured out, we kind of stop growing, don't we? Fruit starts to rot on the tree because it's not reproducing and it's not growing right. Peter finishes off. <clears throat> Verse 24 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The fact is, is all of us will perish one day, this life. But there is something in us, if we have received the Lord and we are walking with Him, that is imperishable. Nobody can ever take that away from us. Nobody can ever do anything. And if it's in us, it should begin to grow and continue to grow. Wouldn't it be awesome? People walk in this church, and we hear it, but if they walk in this church and they say, man, there's something different about that church. Something different with the way they love each other. They have differences, but they work through it. 
And they go deeper in their relationships instead of splitting apart and going different. This is the kind of brotherly love that Peter's talking about. A love that unites. A love that we walk through our tough situations together. And we don't separate and fight, but we come together stronger and bond together in a brotherhood. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of love that I want in my life. A love that is contagious. That when people see it, they say, I want that. And God uses it to begin to multiply. Amen? So if you're here today and you don't know if you have that imperishable seed in you, don't miss the opportunity. I'll be up here. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. Love to encourage you. If you're online, God's tugging on your heart right now. Give us a call. Ask to speak to one of the pastors at the church here. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Amen. Can we be a church that loves? That's contagious. All right, please stand with me. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you. Thank you so much.